American Standard Bible. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Very good to be with you all today. This sermon will be a little different uh, than most for three reasons. Number one, many sermons exhort us to action. Today, I'm going to encourage you in skills for calming and composing your souls. But I don't want you to fall asleep during the sermon. Secondly, Uh, This sermon is going to be an example of the course that we're going to start here in September for uh, the fall. Great Lakes Bible College and our congregation will be offering a course in the Psalms here this fall. So this is one out of 150. It'll be a little foretaste of some of the things we will do. And I think this will be a rich and rewarding study. There's no charge for this course, and we're going to try and have it so that you can also log on from home online if you can't actually make it here to the building. And there'll be more information on that on the bulletin board at the back, or you can see me anytime. Uh, second, or sorry, the third difference is that many sermons have the application at the end. And today we're going to try and, and insert the application sort of embedded in the message as, as we go along, and I think you'll uh, see what I'm saying as we go through this. And I will give you about one to two years to tell me if this sermon was any good and if it actually works, because I'd like you to take some time, take it home, uh, think about it. And uh, I think you will find uh, this psalm, as with all of them, is very particularly enriching on an ongoing basis in our lives. So. This psalm is labeled a song. There are many different kinds of psalms. We have royal, and, royal psalms, enthronement psalms, uh, laments, uh, psalms of thanksgiving. Uh, this psalm is a, is a short song of trust. And you'll notice in verse 3 from our reading that this note of trust comes through when he encourages Israel to hope in the Lord. The, tr- the theme of trust is common in these little psalms of ascent in Psalm 125. It says, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people uh, from this time forth and forever. And who trusts in God, who created the universe, who cared for Israel, who sent Jesus to be our savior, uh, to make us new. were poems set to music and as James said is anyone cheerful let him sing so we can sing the psalms uh, and we can also sing our our laments as well it is one of the 15 psalms of ascents and of course ascending has to do with with moving up and there are different possibilities actually to what the ascending here is in this case one of the thoughts is that it it has to do with uh, 
ascending up to the temple for the three major feasts that the Jews went to every year. And on the south side of the Temple Mount, you'll see on the right hand side of this picture, there were huge steps that would take you up gradually to the southern wall and then through the double or triple gate up more steps until you gradually arrive at the Temple Mount Plaza and see this incredibly gorgeous building in front of you. So that is one uh, thought. And it's a very dramatic uh, series of moves to get up there. And you can see the scale uh, with the people there today. It's actually um, a pretty dramatic uh, entrance to, uh, up to worship. Another possibility was that there were 15 steps within the temple itself. And here you see the east face in the model. But to get into the court of Israel from the court of women, there were 15 steps that uh, you had to walk up. And the thought is that maybe these psalms had to do with uh, things people sung as they went up the steps. Another thought, because in these little psalms, there's several mentions of different places where the Jews are coming from, uh, in Meshach and Kedar, from the mounds, from captivity and so forth. The idea was that these psalms are pilgrimage songs that they sang as they came up uh, back to Jerusalem, which, of course, is a high point in Israel is you go up to Jerusalem, you go down to Jericho, but Jerusalem is set on high in the hills in, in Israel. Another way of looking at this ascension is that there are five groups of three psalms. And this is the one I kind of like most of all, because I think it has the most universal application. The first two groups of three have to do with our relationship with our neighbors. Uh, the, the third group has to do with home and family. And we have those beautiful exhortations about uh, family living in Psalm 127 and 128. And then this one falls in the, the, the second to last group of three, which has to do with, with devotion and trust. And then finally, the culmination of this little collection has to do with God's choice of his people. And one of the things about this, of course, is there's an element of mystery about this, but there's an there's an advantage to that for us in that it's fairly context free, if you would. And that means that it has a very wide application to us personally today. It says that it is a psalm of David. And we know that God said of David that I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now, David, of course, intrinsic to his name is the idea that he is the beloved. He served God in his time, as Paul said in his sermon in Acts 13, that God gave the blessings of David to Jesus. He promised, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And that for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. So David, for us, is a model of trust. Uh, and serving God in his time. Now, he had a challenging life. He, there were many, many difficulties that he went through, many times of disappointment. And so he had he had to trust in God, and he did. And he, and he sang about it. Now, he starts out with this beautiful, simple statement, O Lord. And now, doesn't that say a lot in itself? It's like the model prayer that Jesus gave us starts with um, our Father, uh, he is, uh, and I think most of us know here, this is the four-letter word 
that is simply Yahweh in Hebrew. It, it, it's a very sort of a mysterious word, but it has to do with the, with being and, and existing. He is the existing one, the eternal one and the all powerful one. He is the creator of the universe, our rock, our refuge and our fortress. And the one the reason I had it read from New American uh, Standard is it properly puts uh, this this um, appeal to God first in, in line. And it's a it's a wonderful thing uh, to, to put this psalm to memory. It's not that long. And, and, and I encourage you can do that. But the focus here is on is on Yahweh. And the one thing I like about that word is that there's no article. Um, I think we could just say, oh, Lord, as opposed to uh, the Lord. Now, for some of the psalmists, uh, God was a problem. Now, that sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? But the idea of being uh, a good example in a bad land, there's sort of a burden to that. And so the psalmist and the prophets had courage to ask God difficult questions like why and how long. Okay, so God is one that we can trust and bring to him our difficult questions. Uh, as it said in the Proverbs, we should trust him with all of our heart, to not lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him in all our ways, and he will direct our paths. As Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. And I think just this whole notion of thinking of him starts to put things in perspective. Then he goes on to make a challenging statement. My heart is not proud. My heart is not high. God is on high. We are on earth. But as we see in these Psalms, it is good to lift our eyes above what we see on earth up to God. As it says, um, as Paul uh, said in uh, Colossians, if you've been raised up with Christ, set your mind on things above. It's hard to say honestly, though, isn't it? My heart is not proud. That takes a lot of effort. But it is a God-given responsibility. Uh, throughout the scripture, we see uh, the command to humble ourselves. So if God says it, I think uh, that we can do it. As Paul said, uh, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each of measure of faith. So God has given us faith. He's given us grace. And I think we can do this. Um, it takes time, but it's it's the it's the way Jesus is. And we can be like him because God says that is his goal. Now, he says also, uh, nor are my eyes haughty. Now, what does that mean? It means my eyes aren't too high. So if my eyes are high. What am I doing? I'm tending to look down my nose at somebody else. OK, so the, the idea here is is a sort of a, a self-righteous disdain uh, for others. So that's not, you know, what what our eyes are. Uh, Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. It's what lets uh, thing, beautiful things into our our bodies. And it's through which we see what really matters. He said in Second Corinthians that we should no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. So we need to train ourselves to look at people as made in the image of God, uh, who are spiritual beings and who in Christ, as he said, are a new creation. So I think that a part of what we can take away from this is training our eyes. You know, what do we look at? What do we look at that is good? And what do we look away from uh, that is evil? And I think most importantly, we look up to God 
And this is another focus of this beautiful little collection of psalms, as it says in Psalm 123, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of maids a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he be gracious uh, to us. He says, nor uh, I do not walk after great matters. Uh, you know, we live in a world where it's so easy to be swept up with things that are so great and beyond ourselves through news and entertainment, uh, just the whole uh, spectator culture that we live in. You know, we have the feeling that just sitting in our homes and going online, we can sort of solve the problems of the world and and be in touch with uh, the, you know, great things that are going on. And there's many things happening out there that can really upset our composure. But we have a different take on life. Like Paul says that no act of, no soldier in active duty gets enmeshed in the affairs of this world. But our focus is on the great matters uh, of God. And of course, uh, this takes a lot of practice. But um, as Jesus said, when he, his parents found him in the temple, didn't you know I had to be about my father's things or my father's business? So there are great things that we can think of. And I think God has the greatest agenda and the greatest focus uh, for our minds. Then he says, or in things too marvelous for me. Uh, wonder workers were very common in the ancient world, as there are many people today who just want to wow us uh, with wonderful things. Uh, we can spend a lot of energy marveling at all of the stuff that is out there, as Billy so ably pointed out at the, at the Lord's Supper. There's just plenty of stuff going on to distract us. But at the same time, God gives each one of us uh, gifts and talents that we can use for his glory. And with God, he can take us places that we never thought we could go. He can enable us to do things uh, that we never thought we can do. And we can live up uh, to our potential. As Jesus said uh, earlier in the Psalms, he quoted Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. It came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And in Revelation 15 and 13, it says that great and marvelous are your works. And Paul reminds us that when Jesus comes back, we will be able to marvel at him. He says, surely I have composed and quieted my soul. The soul is that internal core of our being. God breathed into our nostrils and gave us uh, the breath of life. Uh, it's, it's, this, it's a seed, it's sort of the treasure house of our knowledge. Like David said in another psalm, I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it full well. Um, the key here is that our souls are within our control. Remember, three weeks ago, we talked about a first century slave um, named Epictetus, who said the key to happiness is knowing what you have power over and what you don't. Okay? And here we read in the Bible that our souls are within our control. Um, you'll notice in some of your translations that where the New American has quieted, they will use the word calm. And literally, the idea here is to smooth something out, like the way Jesus calmed the sea. It's just to make it still and, and quiet. The process here is very interesting. It's kind of self-talk. 
Okay, so anyone of you, you may have heard the word cognitive behavior therapy, okay? Cognitive behavior therapy is the most widely used evidence-based practice for counseling and treating unhelpful patterns of thought, belief, attitude, behavior, emotion, and mental disorders. It is one of the most widely accepted forms of counseling of workers in North America that is recognized and paid for by insurance companies. So it has to work if they're going to pay for it. But I want to tell you, God was thousands of years ahead of these people in the importance uh, of self-talk. Now, let me just give you a quick lesson this. And the, the easiest way to remember this is with six letters, A, B, C, D, E, and F. Okay? A is for activators, like things that set you off, like people running red lights. Okay? Like we saw one yesterday. So what does that do? You're not supposed to do that. I'm upset. That's ridiculous. You could hurt someone. So that leads to undesirable uh, behaviors and consequences like I could go off the road myself because I'm so upset. So what do I need to do? Well, I need to defeat the negative thought with the positive one, right? Like people shouldn't do that. I know. I know they shouldn't do it, but they do. Okay. So I need to realize that no matter how upset I get, people are still going to run, run red lights. And then I need to replace the thought uh, that's the, the negative one with something positive and effective, which will lead to better ways of living and F, which is a better way of feeling. Now, just to show you that this has been around for a long time, you all know the song, The Steadfast Love of the Lord, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Watch how uh, Jeremiah puts this and how this shows this, the, all these stages of cognitive behavior therapy. He says in Lamentations 3, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and this and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. So we see the activator, the affliction that he has. And what that results in is wandering. And the consequences are wormwood and bitterness. So what does he do with that? He recalls something to mind. He defeats that negative Things that are happening around him by recalling about the Lord's steadfast love. His loving kindness endures forever. And that gives him hope to go on and, and keep on living. I just think this is an amazing uh, thing that actually works. Is when we start thinking the thoughts of God, it changes how we feel. It changes how our behavior. And he had that figured out long before Albert Ellis and all these other people who invented cognitive behavior therapy. He says this amazing thing, uh, like a weaned child rests against his mother, um, so is my soul within me. Um, There's a beautiful simile here between God and our souls and the mother and the child. I think one of the keys uh, to this, the power of this psalm, is just to understand the process of weaning. Now, when I first got thinking about this, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's when the child gives up drinking its mother's milk and goes to solid food, right? And then they're, th- that's it. They're, but it's not, is it? It's not the end. Because even though they've made this transition, where are they? They're still dependent uh, and trusting the mother to f- give them that solid food, to teach them all kinds of things. They still have years and years to work, right? So the weaning process can be done. There's a big debate, I don't know, six months, two years 
but it's definitely a short period of time in our lives. But beyond that stage, there's so many things more to learn. But there is a sense of we're moving on. We're going to stages, uh, new things in our life. And I think that's what faith is. Faith can take us into the unknown uh, and, and help us to mature in Christ. And I think this is a very beautiful picture of how we grow on with God. We learn the basics, uh, we are, but we are still in a, a state of dependence upon his grace and his, his, his uh, mercy to help us mature in Christ and to face uh, living and, and get on with walking with him and the great matters uh, that he has for us to be involved in. And then he, he sort of reemphasizes that my soul is like a weaned child within me. Uh, when we compose something, what are we doing? We're bringing together different elements, putting them in order, and turning them into something normally pretty beautiful. And so what he's saying is, let's get control of our souls, bring all these things together, and then we can get on um, with growing. I think at this point, it's good to remember, too, that Jesus said that we need to be like children uh, to enter the kingdom. He said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But as John reminds us, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those uh, who believe in his name. And he invites us uh, to, to come to him because he is humble and gentle and able to give us rest and restore our souls. Now, you'll notice this picture. I, I chose this picture for a reason as a little background. Uh, this is a mother donkey and her colt beside the Sea of Galilee at Magdala. And I just think it's a, it's a wonderful picture of peace and, and sort of embodies this notion of trust. But I had never noticed something before that somebody pointed out to me. You see the mane of the donkey? It's not like a horse. It has a, a small mane that comes back on either side and it forms the shape of a cross. Now, I don't want to make too much out of that. I'm not sure that God dis did this deliberately. But isn't it interesting uh, that Zechariah said, uh, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And it was on this humble animal that Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, to die for our sins. And he says, um, now he comes to the point where he says, oh, Israel, he's, he's thinking beyond himself. He wants to share the trust and faith that he has and take this message to others, uh, to his countrymen uh, who are precious to God. As Zechariah said, for he who touches you uh, touches uh, the apple of his eye. God sees the sparrow and he sees you. And the son, David now wants to share this message. And I think that's part of what our job is. It's we want to come and compose our souls in the Lord so that we can get up. Uh, we can face life again and we can focus on the job that he has to do. And it's a reminder too, I think of the salvation that we have in Jesus, that he died for our sins and that when we're immersed with him, that we rise to walk with him uh, in newness of life. I would invite any of you here today who hasn't 
put on Jesus in baptism, to please think about coming forward or talking to any of our elders at any time uh, to engage in, in these great matters of God. Then he says, uh, hope in the Lord, our trust is in God, we are in Christ. As David said uh, earlier in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but our trust is in uh, the name of the Lord our God. And this trust is something that will take us, uh, he says, he wants them uh, to do this from this time forth and forever. So we've got this movement. There's something happened in his life to bring him to this point of humility. But he sees we're moving ahead. We're, we've got a hope that is going to last and carry us onward uh, with the things of our father uh, into eternity. And I love this uh, phrase of Paul in Ephesians 2, where God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So while we don't involve ourselves and get enmeshed in things that are beyond our control, that upset us um, and unsettle our composure on earth, there is a vista that we have in mind as we move forward uh, that God is going to one day display all the splendors of heaven and that we're going to meet David and, and all the rest of these amazing people. Uh, that I've imparted uh, these truths uh, to us. If you would, I'd like to conclude by if we could join together uh, in reading this psalm. And I, I encourage you uh, to memorize this psalm. Run it through your mind whenever you're feeling anxious. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, I think, that God has given us to help us to calm and compose our souls. So if you would, a song of a sense of David. You can join me. <laughs> oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I walk after great matters or in things too marvelous for me. Surely I have composed and calmed my soul like a weaned child rests against its mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Thank you.